0: I'm gonna do my task at hand because that's what you hired me to do, and I want to make sure that I do it and I do it great. But I also want to see what are some other opportunities that we could do to expand on the company. We had raised a good deal of money, you know, 350 million dollars. And I got to be part of a core
1: team to decide, okay, what are we gonna do with 350 million dollars? Hey everyone, this is Jeff Apfel and you're listening to Office IQ a podcast that talks about the skills and strategies that lead to success at work and in your career. If you're enjoying the show, go ahead and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening so you can stay up to date when new episodes come out. On today's episode, we're joined by my longtime pal, Jeremy Reed. Jeremy is a content marketing executive with 25 years of experience. He's also led not one, but two companies to an IPO. Jeremy shares his background in writing and publishing, talks about the importance of having an equity stake in the company you work for, and he discusses the beauty of getting to know your coworkers on a personal level. Here's Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time, obviously. Um, And yeah, we have known each other for a very long time, and I'm glad that we've stayed in touch through the vast majority of that time as well. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to start out by, having you sort of introduce yourself and and sharing your story, basically, you know, how you got started, uh, in business. And really even before that, I guess, if you want to just share where you went to college and, um, yeah, up, up until today, basically. So if you can maybe get started with that, that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, it's great. I, one of the things too, to think about it, when Jeff and I first met, um, you know, Jeff was working on the second floor. I was working on the first floor. I was in content. He was in legal. Um, we had very little reason to cross paths, but when we did, um, you know, we always struck up conversations. We developed a racial relationship. And I probably worked, you know, with Jeff outside of City Search, which, you know, was, you know, more than 15 years ago. We both worked there for several years. Um, You know, we work together on projects over and over and over. So we, you know, we're still kind of crossing paths um, just based on, you know, the relationship that we developed way back when.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I came out, so I grew up in Texas and I went to a small Methodist private school. My parents are both professors there and I got a degree in communications. And in my senior year, I kind of realized, um, you know, I I wanted to write uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to write and I love music. I had done two free internships, one at a radio station, another one at a magazine. And, uh, I had always wanted to live in LA. So I packed up my stuff. I moved out to LA. Um, I had a bartending gig with a restaurant named beer Paretti's that was based in Texas, but had one outlet in California. And I set post in LA, um, all by myself. And I started to crack the nut uh, of what I was going to do with the rest of my life in terms of a career. Um, and it certainly was not easy. Um, you know, as I look back on it, uh, I found a job working for the magazine that I worked for in Dallas. Actually moved out to L.A. at the same time. Uh, became managing editor. Really in title, not really in salary. Continued to bond hmm. at night. Um, and that was where I made my money uh and then really really worked hard uh you know to kind of learn the craft and uh you know i was working around the clock i probably worked more hours you know if you combine that with bartending at the same time Mm -hmm. Um, but i learned a lot you know i uh it was one of those things where i was managing editor but i was also um i was also you know the guy responsible for getting lunch i was the guy responsible for picking up the dry cleaning i was the guy responsible for tracking down photo credits um, and everything. How, how many, how many
1: people worked at the company at the time?
0: It was so two guys that ran it out of a house off Franklin in North Hollywood. And we oh, had wow. three full-time employees and a bunch of freelancers. And it was a crazy spot. I mean, it was like, <clears throat> you know, um, Shannon Doherty was there a lot. Uh, it was a fashion magazine. I was not a fashion guy growing up. Um, You know, I had good style, but nobody would (laughs) me out to be the guy who ended up at a top glossy international fashion music. But I got there because I worked for them in Dallas and we had a connection. Um, Mm -hmm. and so from there, I worked there for a couple of years and then, you know, LA spit me out. I came back to Dallas. Mm -hmm. I worked at the four star telegram. My dad had been a book reviewer for them for many years. Um, so I wrote, um, Uh, some articles for them as a freelancer continue to bartend and then, you know, thought, okay, what am I going to do next? Uh, and I bounced up to San Francisco, started my own magazine, uh, called nothing shocking, covering a whole bunch of arts entertainment. We had about 20 people, myself, my co-founder, and we distributed in major college towns in, uh, uh, Austin and other major cities in Texas and, of course, in San Francisco where I was living.
1: How old were you at this time? By the way, I, I had no idea. I don't think yeah, we, yeah. we never talked about this. How old were you?
0: Yeah. So this was I was probably, you know, mid 20s at this
1: point. So mid 20s and you start your own business like that is definitely not common, at least not. certainly not back then right? Without getting into details of like dating ourselves. But like, you know, these days, yeah, it's probably more common, you know, uh, uh, students are probably in college starting a business out of their dorm room, right? Um, But, you know, 20 plus years ago, that wasn't that common. So um, what sort of drove you to do that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think at the time, look, at the time, this concept
0: of fan teams was really big. So self-publishing was starting, um, mm-hmm. printed a thousand magazines that cost a dollar, um, per <laughs> issue. So you're talking at least a thousand dollars baked in. Um, and I actually did it because I had worked at a magazine, but I had always really wanted to understand the full business. And so, mm. you know, this magazine that we did for a year and a half that eventually took me to Austin, um, you know, allowed me to figure out, okay, how do I sell sales? How do I come up with, um, uh, an ad sheet or price sheet? How do I, um, do illustrations? How do I eventually do layout? Um, and, you know, I relied heavily on friends who knew how to do all of that, but, uh, you know, that started to wear thin. What you realize is that your friends have their own passions and their own things. And at the end of the day, you know, it was myself, in a room late at night trying to figure out, okay, how do I lay this out in Cork, which was a design program? Um, Mm -hmm. How do I track down photos for this artist that we interviewed? Um, And then, you know, how do we, uh, how do we get it to a publisher or how do we print it? And then how do we get it out? Um, But it was a great lesson. And what ended up happening was I showed up in Austin and, you know, and people weren't waiting for me to come into town, but people knew a little bit who I was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by having that, um, I ended up getting two different jobs. One, which was a good paying job, doing production for uh, uh, B2B magazines, so business to business magazines. So I was laying Mm -hmm. magazines based on what I had learned doing this passion project on the side for more than a year and a half. I didn't go to school, I didn't have any design. Lesson, mm-hmm. um, but I ended up getting to do production, so I was laying out you know international construction and water and wastewater magazines. Uh, my biggest cover we did was uh, porta potties uh, in Egypt, uh, <laughs> the sites um, which was cool. Wow, um, and then you know by that time I had three jobs, I was doing that. I got to write for the Austin Chronicle because Margaret Mosier, who was a big um, personality and fan, um, had seen my fan scene around coffee shops and bars and recognized it and wanted to give me a shot. So I started to write about oh. everything for the Austin Chronicle, which was, you know, at the time the alt old, old, uh, magazines were the place to write. You know, now you have all these digital spaces, you have time out, you have infatuation, you have what we did together, City Search. But before that, you know, the only thing with the print magazines mm-hmm. that it led to the Statesman, which was great. Um, the Austin American Statesman. And so I had these two jobs, one day job doing that one day, one, uh, night job covering mostly music, but other stuff. Um, and then I continued to bartend, I bartended on six. And so, you know, up until the time I was really 28, I was doing three different jobs. Um, Uh, And then at 28, I had a a major fork in the road, which was um, uh, I had three job opportunities in the matter of a couple of weeks. And one was uh, to be the uh, music critic of the Austin American Statesman. Another one was to stay with my B2B job and move to Atlanta and move into the spa and pool division. And then the third one was... Uh, citysearch.com, which was, you know, at the time, nobody wanted to go to digital. Everybody wanted to stay in print. Um, Mm. I'm actually fascinated by digital because, you know, you could you didn't have a certain shelf space. You could kind of write and create Mm -hmm. and and do as much as you want. It was really the Wild West. Um, I didn't get the job at the Austin American Statesman. Um, I lost out to a guy who had been the, uh, the local editor there for you know, 15 years and is still writing about music today. Hmm. Um, I didn't take the pool and spa because, you know, unfortunately, not unfortunately, my father died during that same hmm. period. And uh, I just needed to be in Texas. My parents were in Arlington. Boston was three hmm. hours away. And so I made a family choice to take the city search job. Uh, and it was one of the best professional decisions I ever made. I got in with a company uh, that... Gave me a wonderful ride for eight years. I started as a music editor in Austin, got promoted to a managing editor, got promoted to the editor in chief, got promoted. To- Wait, when was this? What what year was that? It was around nineteen
1: ninety eight. Wow. Okay, so you were there for six years before we met.
0: Yeah. So I was there when City Search was a true startup, and there were six different cities um when I left there eight years later as the as the head of content mm-hmm. content team that was you know 40 people um you know in 22 markets coverage in 144 markets um, mm. and we went public and so I had the benefit of like doing what everybody calls sweat equity um and you know truthfully it's one of the reasons I was able to, to buy a house was to come up with a down payment. Um, and from there I ended up going, and so that was a wonderful ride. And many of those editors uh, spread out. I've continued to work with over the years. Mm-hmm. There I went uh, I went to Tastemade with a coworker that worked with uh, you and I, Larry Fitzgibbon,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that, you know, I lucked out. I it was a company started by Richard Rosenblatt who had just done MySpace uh, had one of the biggest exits ever to Rupert Murdoch uh, when MySpace got bought by Fox. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was off on another ride. And so at that company, um, we had raised a good deal of money. Uh, I think at the time it was, uh, you know, $350 million, which was almost wow. mm-hmm. Um And I got to be part of a core team to decide, okay, what are we going to do with $350 million? <laughs> You know, which was great.
1: sounds like
0: fun. Yeah, it was great. You know, for me, we did a lot of acquisitions. So I got to see how a lot of companies were built from the inside out. Um, I got to build a large content team. We built a large uh, content management system, so the ability for us to publish content mm-hmm. on a bunch of different sites. We grew brands like eHow, Livestrong. Uh, you know, we worked with celebrities like Lance Armstrong, Rachel Ray, and Tyra Banks. Um, And, you know, we eventually went public. So we went public as a billion dollar company uh, on the back of uh, the second largest IPO after Google. Wow. Um, And it was great. It was wonderful. And then, you know, like everything, um, businesses are up and down. Uh, We took a hit because uh, some of uh, the traffic that we were getting from Google stopped. We tried to shift hmm. our business and, you know, you can imagine when you've got like a really big business like that, when you try to shift it, it's so much harder when it's that big. Yeah. Um, but I felt on top of the world because I had been part, you know, I had been part of two startups and both of them went public, which, you know, Jeff, you probably know better than I do, but, um, you know, that just doesn't happen, you know.
1: It's pretty rare.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so then from there, I kind of, you know, I really got in my mind that I didn't want to be the content guy. I wanted to understand the whole business. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I got offered a chief uh, operating officer role at Centerfield, which was a business I completely didn't understand. It was lead generation. We made our money um, driving people to purchase insurance. So imagine top five insurance companies. And then we made a percentage of that money. Um, it was really, really difficult because I was in a new discipline and, and a new uh, vertical within the industry. Mm-hmm. I ended up being there for a year and a half and then finally decided to you know, go back to what I love and, and try to figure out if I could uh, do my own thing. And so my wife and I launched uh, a business called Intersection Cities where mm-hmm. some local sites, Lincoln and Rose in here in Venice, California, yeah. Maine and PCH. Um, Jeff helped me on that business. Um, so that's another example where we kind of overlapped. Um, and it was great. We set up uh, an online marketplace. I learned how to ship goods. I learned how to create our own, uh, our own, uh, our, our own uh, merchandise. We had t-shirts that were a number one seller. Um, uh, okay. And we grinded it out, ultimately getting to the point where we had a physical location, uh, both in uh, in Venice and Huntington Beach, where we sold those goods. We came to life with local makers, mm-hmm. um, and it was really a local make, a marketplace to uh, to highlight local makers. Um, but I learned a lot of stuff there. I like I, we overbuilt it. We spent way too much money. I was the guy who was managing costs. Somebody wasn't above me managing costs. Um, mm-hmm. And I really learned a lot during that period. Um, you know, from there, I was ready to get back into a full-time job. I worked at Tastemade, um, again, with Larry Fitzgibbon, who uh, Jeff and I work, you and I work with at CitySearch. That was great. It so, was- so
1: real, sorry to interrupt, Jeremy. So, yeah. earlier, I think you mentioned Tastemade, but you meant demand media, right? Yeah. Um, like pre- that, that's, it's demand that went public. Demand media went public, yeah. Yeah. Got, gotcha. Okay. And then, yeah. And then, uh, more recently, uh, TasteMade. Yeah, you were, you joined. Okay. Got it. All
0: right. Yeah. And that way, I mean, I think that the thing with Tastemade is, you know, I, I went back into an environment where I was working with people I knew. Um, I was a mm-hmm. company, not a founder. Um, and you know, we were building a product that I was really proud of, you know, Tastemade is a global brand, um, really around food, now around travel. Um, and loved. Mm -hmm. spent three years there, really enjoyed my time. Um, but again, you know, I was ready kind of for the next thing. So what was I going to do next? Um, and then, you know, bounced around, started another company with, uh, you know, former CEO of the, or CMO of the music movie business, um, called players Academy. That was really like the Mm -hmm. class for sports. And uh, spent a year on that, but that was right in the crux of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we uh, we couldn't raise money. People were uh, scared to invest. We couldn't produce content because we were shooting uh, content around uh, uh, pro players and the pro leagues were not playing. I mean, it was yeah. bizarre. It would have been a bizarre time. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, and then, you know, most recently I was the CMO at Best Reviews, which was a product review site, been around for 10 years. Um, we have really did it the right sort of way, kind of like Wirecutter and uh, Consumer Reports back in the 1980s, still around. Um, and then we got acquired by Nexstar, which owns a bunch of TV stations. Uh, I think, you know, last count, 211 TV stations in the US. Wow. Uh, and through there, I was able to really learn about broadcast TV and the power, producing TV segments, as well as a, a national TV spot. Uh, and then also working very closely with Amazon, um, which is always great to work closely with a company like Amazon who keeps everything kind of close to their vest. And you don't hmm. learn a lot, but, you know, there's nuggets of stuff that creep out uh, <laughs> that you really do, you know, learn. Uh you know, and, and you're kind of beholden to them on your business, which we were. Um, but it was pretty fascinating. And,
1: uh, and so now here we are. That's awesome. You know, you you mentioned, actually, I was just typing some notes as you were talking, you mentioned a lot of th- several things that uh, I want to revisit just briefly. Um, one of them is uh, equity in businesses. And, you know, it's one of the things that um, I emphasize, uh, with my daughter, who's going to be, um, starting college, as you know, uh, literally in a couple weeks when we have conversations around, you know, her career or what she thinks her career path is going to be. Um, and I, I emph- emphasize to her like, Hey, because she of course wants to be successful. And when she, what she means by success is. Um, is money right is just you know er earning a high income uh, and being able to buy things take nice trips own a nice house this and that and I explained to her I said hey that's great like you know we should all have that as an aspiration among other things right that are probably more uh, important in life than assets um, or just you know material things but uh, if you want to be able to afford what you're talking about you need to have a stake in the business that you're working for uh and so you know you had mentioned that you were able to get equity in um two companies and, and more but two that materialized into something important you know in terms of uh um, uh stock sale right and and income that, that comes along with that uh is that Is that mindset of owning a piece of the pie, do you think more important these days for uh, younger employees? So, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, new hires right out of college or young professionals that are in, you know, maybe the first five years of their career, or do you think it's, it's not even like top of mind? Uh, for them, just based on like, you know, uh, younger professionals that you've hired o- over the years or that you've worked with over the years or maybe even family and friends, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think when I was
0: coming up in my 20s, the businesses I worked for were small businesses so really didn't have an equity pool. Um, mm-hmm. or they were older businesses, um, you know, like newspapers that you didn't really get into that moved right. into management. And when I got to City Search, they had a mentality that they wanted everybody to have a stake at the company. Mm-hmm. Because whether you were the most junior full time person or the most senior, um, everybody wanted to see the company grow and go public, um, which I thought was an amazing sort of thing. Like we're all in this together. Yeah. And, you know, it's always difficult to talk about salaries and who's making what, but at least you could always say, hey, look, we all have a piece in this company. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so i always believe that you should have a piece in the company and i was i you know it's like i said it is so incredibly rare that you um have an exit those are the only two mm-hmm. i had in my life um so far um and they happen early early on in the career and so mm-hmm. as i kind of get older um And I kind of think about your daughter, which I actually think is right. As sales leads, said, one of the smartest things to me, which is you make money to afford the things you want to do outside of work. (laughs) So if you can, you know, make more money at work, your time's well spent and and therefore you can follow your passions and do your good and and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think you should always have a piece in the company, um, but I don't, think you should do it in lieu of a big part of your salary, unless, of mm. course, the earlier on in your career. So you're kind of saying, OK, um, you know, I'm making enough to cover my rent. I'm making enough to take my vacations. I have some room to take some chances. And I really believe in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think what happens is when you're going through the interview process, I tried to learn this. And it's, I, I don't think you can learn this, but I tried to learn the value of the stock. It was the question I had that. <laughs> so, okay, you're going to pay me this amount of money and you're going to give me 50,000 shares. Mm-hmm. What is that worth? And you could sit down with the most senior financial person in the company and you still couldn't get to a true answer. And yeah. so I think you always have to look at equity as you know is not part of the core something mm-hmm. part of your package you know like health insurance and benefits and that um, yeah but you know focus on your core comp and then make sure that equity is a part of it just like health insurance
1: yeah so would you would you suggest to young professionals or college students even that they seek out employment with a company that does have uh you know, an equity pool, yeah. uh, an option pool, uh, rather than, you know, going for a, a big brand name, right, uh, that provides, let's say, a competitive salary, you know, benefits, you know, health, all, all the other sort of ancillary benefits, um, but does not offer equity, at least to the vast majority of, of employees,
0: Yeah, I mean, I I see it more and more. My last company, Best Reviews, was owned by Nextstar, you know, Mm -hmm. a a multi tens of billion dollar company. I mean, it's a a behemoth. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were uh, a startup that got brought in, and nobody had equity in the company of Nextstar. It was only senior, senior folks. And Mm -hmm. I really do think that um, having some equity in the company just makes. The morale and the energy of the
1: group. totally, hundred percent.
0: So I, I would I would definitely look for that. What I wouldn't advise is that you, uh, that you you know take a, you know a fifty percent of your salary comp in equity. Mm-hmm. But I, what I would do, and what I've seen, you know, and what I would have done more as an and my own entrepreneur is giving out equity in companies that are up and coming that you do as side projects or night projects. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've done it before, right? You can give legal advice. I can give content advice. Um, and Mm -hmm. that advice, like real hard work, drafting documents, content. Um, and, and that's a good way to, to doing it. But I mean, in, in the career, in the workforce, you should have a stake in how the company succeeds.
1: Yeah, I agree hundred um, percent. One other thing that you mentioned, I wanna um, go back to is <clears throat> these shifts in, in your career path, right? So you went from, you know, being focused, focused primarily on, on content, right? Content generation, managing that content distribution, but then you shifted to become an operator. Right uh COO. I mean I, yes, I was later in in your career um, but is that something that you wanted to do or kind of the, the opportunity just presented itself? It sounds like it was the former like you had the mindset of wanting to expand your skill set, expand the um, your breadth of of experience um, it, is that is that correct? like
0: yeah, I mean, in hindsight, you know, just hearing it back to myself, I think when I started that magazine, you know, part of the reason I started the magazine uh, was that I can learn all, all parts of it, all disciplines. Yeah. And I didn't plan to become the greatest artist, even though I did some illustrations. I certainly didn't plan to become the best salesperson. Um, but I knew that I could actually do each of those things. Uh, mm-hmm. I put my mind to it. And I think... What I had seen is, especially in my vertical of content and editorial, I saw product folks, I saw legal folks, I saw sales folks, all take on uh, chief operating officer roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, well, you know, why can't content folks do that? You know, I'm in the (laughs) industry, I understand it. Um, It doesn't. I don't need to know how to code. Right, but I need to know how to manage engineers and their ability to code, Um,
1: and it was really and maybe even speak their language a little bit, yeah, because they do often speak in a different language, yeah,
0: yeah, and and really, what ends up happening is, you know, a lot of those times, you know, I learned some of it within work, but I also learn it from, you know, passing by the desk and you know, striking up Mm -hmm. relationships and conversations, Um, yeah, and you know, I always say and I always think and I have to remind myself. The best relationships I ever created were not with my bosses, were um, right. not with the founders of the company that you would think they were because I worked for them multiple times. I had big uh, IPOs. Um, my most beneficial personal and professional relationships were my peers, many within the same department, but also many outside my department. Yeah, I invested in those relationships. You know, I always say there's this this complex of and I'm dating myself, but there was a character in Leave It to Beaver called Eddie Haskell, <laughs> and Eddie Haskell was the guy who came over and you know kissed up to the parents, and then was a horrible friend to everybody in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The parents finally read through and said, "Oh, you're an Eddie Haskell," and so I wouldn't be an Eddie Haskell. Like I would, um, <laughs> you know, I would, you know, show respect. Um, to the people that I worked alongside of as much as I would um, to the people I reported to. And that was a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wasn't sliding either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So relationships, um, like developing those strong relationships with your peers, being respectful, uh, of course, to your, uh, you know, manager, you um, you know, people sort of higher up the the food chain than you at at the company. Um, that that's what you you should be. I mean, unless a person deserves disrespect, which sometimes we'll see from time to time. But um, uh, yeah, but not sort of treating them as uh, um, you know these these sort of superior figures because they're really not right. Right. Um, in 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 my opinion. Uh, So treating everybody with respect, um, but establishing those relationships that you mentioned with your peers is really what benefits I mean, it doesn't just, you you can't look at it just as, oh, how do I benefit myself? But, uh, you know, you're, some of these relationships um, develop into, you know, professional relationships in other, you know, businesses, um, uh, you know, other sort of situations within the business world. But I I think this is probably applicable to you as as well. Some of my closest friends that I have today, I didn't grow up with, I didn't go to school with. I met at work. Yeah. And so, some in my own department, uh, other times not, you know, working some I don't know, the finance or something like that, you know, or or as, you know, an engineer or something. So uh, yeah, that's that's crucial. Um and then you're, so you're very entrepreneurial. And I think when somebody hears that term, they think, okay, starting their own business, right? Like and which, which you have done on several occasions, but you can also be entrepreneurial working inside of an organization. And by that, I mean, you, you actively seek out knowledge in areas outside of your own expertise. And that is something I actually emphasize in, in one of my courses, um, and so that strikes me as being critical to your success and really anybody's. Is that you're you're just a naturally curious person, and uh, so you seek out the skills that you just don't you don't have, but you can develop, and that just that doesn't just add value. To the organization of course it adds value to you as an individual so that when you start you know when you you move on let's say to i don't know a different um organization uh you've just increased your value which means that the company may actually want to provide you with equity that they otherwise wouldn't have for maybe your your skill level or not your skill your experience level at that time so it opens up a lot of uh doors i think it's, it's something that is really important for people to hear
0: yeah. What, what, what you just said, uh, give me a second to reflect back on it, but you, uh, you made me think of three things. The, the most important thing is, uh, you know, the relationships you meet, um, could turn into something big today. I celebrate 13 years of marriage with my wife. Uh, congratulations. We work together. Um, yeah, that's so that's great. a huge, uh, bonus, both business and professional. Uh, I am mean, incredibly lucky there. Um, and then another thing I think about is, you know, you talked about, you know, when you, uh, you know, there are people, whether it's your boss or your peer that need to be reprimanded, right. Or need to be addressed. Um, Mm -hmm. a big lesson that I learned is when I was at detour magazine, um, one of the main reasons I was there is because I wanted to publish articles in this global magazine. And, uh, uh, I had worked over Christmas break, and the owners didn't pay me, uh, and I made a big stand, and I said, "You know what? I'm quitting. Um, mm. You guys get back from the holiday. I'm quitting." I sent you know a dismissive email. Uh, you know, you know what? I didn't. This was pre-email, so I wrote a letter. <laughs> uh, I typed it up and uh, and I left it on their desk for when they arrived, and it was a really petty letter. It was me mm. saying. They were bad managers, bad people. Um, and in reality, you know, what I should have said was, um, you know, I think it's time for me to leave. I've decided to move on to my next um, venture. Uh, i you all the best because all the petty comments that I made in there uh, didn't benefit. And the same thing where if you have a bad boss and that bad boss is not standing true to your one on ones, uh is not showing up for you in terms of meetings speak in specifics Mm -hmm. not having our one-on-ones every friday and i really want to make sure that we get them on track that's it Mm -hmm. don't say you're a worse boss don't get personal just be very clear and what you end up doing is you realize if you just stick to the facts man um Mm That's the way to handle those relationships. It's not getting personal. It's certainly not getting bitter, um, and you know, it's it's it doesn't benefit you. And ultimately, what you're looking for is to, the benefit to you, not to them, not to the company, but to you.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's yeah, it's it's natural for a lot of us, not everyone, uh, but a lot of us to want to emote. Yeah. Um, and that's fine, right? Like you, you need, you, you should show emotions, but there's a time and place and a manner <laughs> to, to every situation. And I would say, uh, you know, at, being at work, it's, it's not the best time to emote, um, you know, just to kind of vent your frustrations. You can do that, but it needs to be in a smart way, as you say, just sticking to the facts and let the facts sort of speak for themselves uh, because they will. Um, yeah, no, and I also don't apologize
0: for the emotions, you know. Um, you know, there are big things that happen while you're at work. You know, people that you love die and you get the news and you're looking to see who's around you that you can tell, right? Um, hmm. have a really bad day. You have a breakup, you know. Yeah. There, well that, that that
1: resonates quite uh, quite a bit with me I, I I don't know if you had already left uh, city search at the time but um, I I was at work um, and I think you were when did you leave in 2006 yeah yeah actually. yeah okay yeah so, so you were there uh, so yeah I got the phone call that my dad died yeah. when I was at work yeah. and um, sitting It's very interesting, actually. Sitting next to me was um, our good friend, John. Yeah. And, of course, you know, he was uh, trying to console me. But as I I went into a conference room to call my mom, so it was my mom who called me. I was, you know, it's like this open uh, sort of work environment, right, with these, uh, you can't even call them cubicles, (laughs) right? (laughs) These, like, uh, maybe 16-inch tall screens or something, Um, no privacy or whatever. So my mom called me, um, you know, to share that tragic news with me. Couldn't really handle it. Uh, hung up the phone. Kind of tried to collect myself a little bit. But I walked to a conference room to call her back and and just find out the details of, of what happened. Yeah. Uh, and as I left, um, I'm not going to name names, but you probably know who, who I'm talking about. There was a very senior person who really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way at, at work. Um, and I never had, you know, a, a friendly uh, relationship uh, with this individual um but he saw as i left the conference room uh he saw that i was you know white as a ghost yeah. <laughs> and that there you know just the expression on my face like there was clearly something wrong yeah and it it was he was the one who walked me back to my desk and consoled me and was like the most comforting person it was so interesting like reflecting back on it now uh how different uh, that person was at that time, but he was, um, and and it kind of made me think, okay, well, he's really thick skinned He's, he's incredibly tough on uh, everybody that that he works with, but it's for, it's, it's for a goal. Right. And it's not to make excuses for, you know, poor behavior or anything like that. But I just, I looked at things in a different light. I looked at him in, uh, a different light because I saw this like very um, compassionate side that nobody I think had ever seen, yeah. um, at least to, as far as I know, and certainly not, not at work. Um, so anyway, that obviously popped in, in my head. <laughs> Sorry for that, for the aside. Um, that, so you mentioned what, the, you know, go ahead. I was yeah. going to say but I mean, that's, that's,
0: that's the beauty of, of getting to know people on a personal level, you know? And, and not yeah. trying to feel like, you know, there are ways that you can do it. Hey, what did you do this weekend? Um, questions and stuff like that. But it's also just, you know, there are there are as bad, there are as many bad managers there are as there are bad employees. Right. And they're all struggling with what they call the IQ or the EQ. Right. The, the yeah. emotional yeah. sense. Yeah. The emotional sense. <laughs> And very rarely do you find somebody who's got both of them, um, and so it was great that you you probably had a different relationship with him after that, or yeah, or her after that, yeah,
1: yeah. One other thing I was going
0: to say about the entrepreneurship, so the third point, yeah. was, mm-hmm. you know, I one of the things about the entrepreneurship is I, I you nailed it. I do think it's a disciplined entrepreneurship, and it's not, hey, I'm going to go start my own company. And I'm going to do this. It's, hey, I have an entrepreneurial spirit that I'm going to do my task at hand because that's what you hired me to do. And I want to make sure that I do it and I do it great. Um, And but I also want to see, okay, what are some other opportunities that we could do to expand on the company? And if you know entrepreneurship, it's you know, it's like a one in, you know, hundred thing that's going to hit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be willing to kind of pitch these ideas, weave these ideas and have people table it and say, Hey, not right now. It's not the right thing. Um, but you can also do entrepreneurship just by, uh, by hooking your, your wagon to somebody else's great idea. Um, and getting your wins through those peers, like finding out, okay, you're working on something interesting. I think I can help because my discipline is this. Um, you know, let me do this, and you guys start to develop something. And that entrepreneurship within the company, um, to me, is the most interesting and ideal because you already have the funding baked in. You're not spending half your time raising money. You're really mm-hmm. working within a system that already has the four walls.
1: Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's great. A
0: great point that you made that entrepreneurship really. Is not starting your own thing by yourself with nobody else involved. It is, simply, <laughs> uh, you know, developing a seed that either comes from you or somebody else, uh, and and and
1: figuring out how to make and how to make it a reality. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, all right. Well, so let's uh, maybe wrap up with um, with this one point that you made earlier uh, yesterday, and that is sort of words of wisdom that you'd want to share with, you know, people that are maybe still in college, about to graduate, maybe have recently graduated, uh, or maybe they're, I don't know, three, four, five years into their career. Um, You had mentioned a few things. One is nailing the task that you're given and then do more. Uh, The second was under promise and over deliver, which I love <laughs> uh, I think it's very important, actually, because the the inverse of that is is I mean, it just sets you up for bad things in um, like reputational damage uh, and then solving problems and avoiding creating problems. Uh, so do you want to maybe elaborate uh, a bit on one or all of them, if you want? Yeah, I mean, I think. I think uh, I think.
0: Um... I think, look, the under-promise, over-deliver. One of the things I really think about um, and I spend a good deal of time is managing up and managing expectation. And in in the startup environment, you're always tasked with, is this a $100 million business, right? You've always got to dream big. Uh, I recently read a a stat that 65% of the initiatives that Bing has done has failed and Bing is just typical, not uh, an anomaly or one of the worst. Um, So you have to imagine that, you know, you're going to do a lot of things um, that aren't going to see, you know, fruition or payback. And so what I really think about is before you say, yep, I can do it, consider Mm -hmm. part of a team, go back to the team and really get the team's input and said, okay, we need to accomplish this task. Um, We're being dictated to do it this way. I want to make sure that we can do it in the smartest way with the best resources. How do we do it? And then make sure that every time you're communicating, you're communicating a scope that you can do that everybody is involved in. Um, And that's, that's really important because I think that's one of the biggest things and then another one that's not on there, but that I, I think is really important, especially in a junior, is to, um, is to bitch up, not down. Yeah, what do you mean by that? I want yeah, to and yeah. So it's one of those things where in an environment, especially an environment that has so much social media, so much um, you know, non-in-office uh, companies, which I think is wonderful. But I also think that there's a real uh, there's a real maturity and camaraderie that comes with working side by side with somebody, especially late on a Tuesday night with a product push and you're there till midnight and you're ordering pizza like you're bonding over that. But it's to really make sure that if you're complaining about something in the company, um, you take that to your manager first before complaining about it to somebody else. So if you have an issue with somebody else in another department, don't get poisoned within the department about this other issue. Um, go to your, your manager and talk about it. Um, because really what ends up happening is, what happened to me in one case, I was a junior manager in Austin. Um, the, I was a new manager in a team. They were complaining about um, their former boss who had taken on a bigger role. I ran into my new boss who is the head of the group and complained and she opened the door, invited the other boss in and I had to tell that person straight what was being said. And it was the best lesson I learned, which is just, you know, um, there's no benefit in, in, in doing that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. but But I, yeah. And then, I mean, I, I think in the last thing, like you and I, I did not, you know, I knew your father had passed, but I did not know that moment. Um, hmm. um, but you know, it it really is. There's a, a wonderful aspect that comes out of work, but it's not necessarily the company. I don't look back on City Search and say I love City Search and what we built right. because, in fact, City Search doesn't exist. Everything we did is no longer <laughs> online. Yes, uh, yeah. and a new generation only thinks about Yelp. They don't think about City Search. So mm-hmm. to say I love City Search would be a disservice. I love the relationships that came. I love the knowledge that came. I, yeah. the, your daughter's credit, I love the money that came that afforded me. Uh, <laughs> love my wife that came out of it. Um, yeah. Um, but it was not the company that I was loyal to. The It's all the things that came out of the company yeah. that I was loyal to.
1: That's yeah. That's so poignant. Yeah. Your your loyalty is not to the company; it's to the people who work there, just as hard as you, if not harder. Sometimes, right? More hours, whatever the case is, and and the good ones, right? I mean, obviously, your loyalty isn't to you know some person with like a, a rotten personality that happens to also work at no. your company. Right. It's 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 to the other people who work there, rely on on the income from that job that's who your loyalty is to. And, and I think that just helps, it acts as a catalyst for those important um, relationships that you develop further over time. And I think ours is, is symbolic of that. Um, you know, you were a ton of fun to work with, um, but I think an even better friend over the years. And, and the fact that we've kept in touch, you know, for, almost 20 years is is testament to that you know so yeah jeremy thanks thank you thanks for listening to this episode of office iq if you're looking for ways to accelerate your path to success you can find more resources like this on our youtube channel or at OfficeIntelligence.com. we offer courses and other content that will literally change the direction of your career for the better If there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or questions you'd like me to address on future episodes, you can send an email to jeff at officeintelligence.com.